Thank you for downloading this podcast from BJOG. I'm pleased to be recording my first uh, BJOG editorial podcast. I've only recently been appointed Deputy Editor-in-Chief. The main day-to-day task involves handling the 1,300 or so annual submissions to BJOG. All of these are screened with uh, enormous care, and only the very best are allocated to scientific editors, who then evaluate the work further with uh, expert peer reviews. Overall, the result is only about one in five submissions are eventually published in one of the 13 issues a year. Fortunately, the 1,300 submissions are divided among the deputy editors, so uh, I'm not alone in undertaking that enormous job. The aim of the system of review is really to select publications that are plausible, that appear scientifically valid, and that either address a significant question or pose an important new hypothesis. In other words, we try as far as ever possible in science to publish findings that are true. In an influential essay, Ioannidis, in 2005, suggests that actually most research findings are false. This is due to a large number of factors. Proposed solutions include ensuring higher power, such as conducting large studies or meta-analyses, with the aim to look at the totality of the evidence. In randomized trials, some of the risk of bias can be mitigated by upfront trial registration. This system has been a mandatory requirement for our journal since 2005. It means that a trial is conducted and the analysis is undertaken according to a pre-specified protocol. This can sometimes pose a challenge for hypothesis-generating research, but the principles of developing and adhering to a pre-specified protocol are a really good way to avoid bias and misleading findings. Now, all the readers will uh, know the importance of randomized trials, but not all of them will be aware of the historical origins, which are described in a very nice piece by Orifis and Lim in this issue of the journal. Trial registration is one of the important steps that can reduce scientific error. Other habits of authors, such as data dredging, p-value hacking, or hypothesizing after the results are known, so-called harking, or even just over-enthusiastic interpretation of research findings, can be problems. An even bigger problem is a fortunately rare event that we have to deal with when an article has to be retracted. In the current issue, Chambers and colleagues assesses just this thing. They identified 176 articles that were retracted in the Obzangani literature. The most common reasons were plagiarism and data falsification. Fortunately, the overall number of retracted articles in our field is low when compared with a huge volume of published data. Nevertheless, article retractions are increasing. Uh, Three quarters occurred in the last ten years. One worrying thought is this. The relative rarity of retracted articles may not be because falsification does not occur, but because these events are rarely detected. 
Now, data falsification can be extremely harmful if it changes clinical practice in the wrong way. For example, uh, false data may alter the conclusions of a meta-analysis, or they may be incorporated into guidelines. The authors of the article make the important observation that despite the fact that articles are withdrawn, they are still frequently cited in the literature. They issue a warning to us regarding the consequences of propagating invalid research information to the scientific community. In evidence-based medicine, we often talk about the hierarchy or the pyramid of evidence. Systematic reviews with meta-analysis of relevant randomized trials of good quality are at the top of this pyramid. However, it's also possible to systematically review and meta-analyze cohort studies, case control studies, and even qualitative work. In our issue this month, Janssen and colleagues, based on data synthesis from 10 studies, suggest that it may be reasonable to offer women with a low-lying placenta the chance to try for a vaginal birth. In a synthesis of mainly self-reported data, Endler and colleagues report that using the approach of telemedicine for abortion care appears to be acceptable to women and their providers. And further, based on data from 20 studies, Boogie and colleagues show that primarily self-reported race and ethnicity influence the rate of diagnosis of endometriosis. In all three reviews, the extensive literature search and sophisticated data synthesis allows us to be more certain of the associations. This way, we can get closer to what is scientific truth. However, despite all these methodological strengths, discovering the scientific basis or the biological basis behind these findings will often not be possible by these approaches alone. Thank you for listening to this podcast from BJOG. We have been reporting the best research in women's health since 1902. We are keen to hear your views. Tweet us at BJOG Tweets. You can find more podcasts at www.bjog.org.